This morning we're going to be looking at Genesis 23. Genesis 23. So I invite you to turn with me or open that on uh, your screen. Genesis 23. Then Genesis 22, before uh, the triumphal entry and resurrection that we considered of Jesus Christ, uh, we, we looked at Genesis 22 and the sacrifice that, that Abraham was called to give, the sacrifice of his son and how the Lord provided for him. And that is the pinnacle of, of uh, the revelation, I think, of, of Genesis 22, but that's not the end. It's the high point, but there's more that we need to consider. And, and I'd like to conclude this morning and conclude our, our series in Genesis at this time uh, with Genesis 23. Sarah's death and Sarah's burial. And consider the witness of the tomb of a believer. Listen to God's word. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham arose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat me, entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as a property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, of all who went in at the gate of his city. No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the Lord, and he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will, hear me. I give you the price of the field. Accept it from me, that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites. 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with, with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area, was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites, before all who went in at the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is, Hebron. 
in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. As we look at God's word this morning and consider what he is teaching us here again, we've learned throughout this series that, that when God's word is, is uh, developing these facts, uh, that these are historical facts, but they're much more than just data that is being communicated to fill out the picture. It's not a biography, but this is, this is redemptive history. This is an unfolding of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that what God is revealing is, is not just something about Abraham, but something about himself and about who he is and how, how Abraham walked in fellowship with God. And in this, we need to recognize uh, the place of Sarah as well. In all of Scripture, Sarah has a special place. She is the only woman in Scripture whose age at her death is recorded. This recognizes her in her place of honor, in her place in redemptive history, that it is through her that the, the, the seed of, of the woman would come who would crush the serpent's head. That in her seed all the nations of the world would be blessed. Some have, I think, appropriately called her the Mary of the Old Testament. As Mary was to Jesus in the New Testament, so Sarah is to the believers and, and to the promises of God in the Old Testament. She certainly has been blessed by the Lord and is, is a woman of, of high regard in Scripture. And her importance is because of, of the place that she has in redemptive history as the, the mother of Isaac. But this tells us that there's, there's something very important that is taking place in this account. Something that future generations like us, like our generation, must consider. That her tomb and, and her place of burial is going to be a, a monument for future generations to consider. That this is the, the, the wonder of the covenant of grace unfolded, and the monument that we, we see to this here is this tomb. So we're looking at the tomb of a believer, the witness of the tomb of a believer. And it's a monument not in a, a gothic or a, a morbid sense that, that revels in death, that, that celebrates and exalts the things that are dead, but recognizes the hope and the place of the living, that they need to contend with the reality of their mortality, that they're going to die. We're called to consider this witness this morning. God's word reveals to us this witness of a tomb. As we consider this word this morning, we're going to hear three things. We're going to, first of all, consider the common sorrow of God's people. Secondly, the commitment of God's people. And thirdly, some conclusions to draw from this for our service of God. But first of all, the common sorrow of God's people. Abraham, the father of nations, was one who has been extraordinarily blessed by the Lord. He's had this privilege as a covenant representative, as one through whom the covenant of grace is being revealed most profoundly that all of Israel would look back to the time that God dealt with Abraham and would understand the gospel from this dealing. That Abraham was called, just like we're called with the gospel. 
that Abraham, for all his privileges, lived uh, faithfully, though he, he failed as well, but faithfully he lived. And, and he had just come to that, that, that high point in his relationship where, where he came to reveal God as the provider of life from the dead as he offered up his son to death. And yet for all his privileges, for the, 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 the precious place of grace that, that he is revealing to us in his relationship with the Lord, he's not spared the sorrow and the pain and the struggle of the death of a loved one. Sarah dies, and Abraham mourns. They lived together a little over 60 years in this time. They had, they had covered a great deal of territory as they left their homeland and, and come to receive the promises of God. And here, as the father of the faithful, he, he knows that, that he's pursued a, a spiritual kingdom. Verse 4, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. This is how he lived in his life. Hebrews 11 reminds us that, that he recognized that he, he was receiving a promise of, of an eternal kingdom. And yet our text tells us of his sorrow and weeping. He, just because he, he believed doesn't mean he's exempt from this sorrow. And just because he has these promises so, so certainly and clearly assured to him, he, he doesn't approach life as a stoic and say, well, this life has no meaning. It's all about eternity. It's all about going to heaven. He's not so heavenly minded that, that he doesn't experience earthly sorrow. And our text wants to show us that. And remind us that, yes, people of God, as much as you've received the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in him, as much as we've received a more powerful revelation, a more profound revelation of the work of God, of the promises of God, of the certainty of his grace, we're not exempt. Our lives will have times of struggle, sorrow, and pain. There's a common sorrow that God's children experience in this life. It's what we call grief. Grief comes at the death of a loved one. Grief comes in times when our circumstances are, are horribly disrupted. Grief comes when relationships are broken. Grief, and this time of grieving, is appropriate for God's children. Think of Jesus, how he wept at the tomb of Lazarus. Think of Jesus, how he we heard about his, his being sorrowful unto death in the Garden of Gethsemane. There is real sorrow that we should experience. And we should express. We should be able to say our hearts are heavy. Our minds are overwhelmed by the struggles we're going through. That when death and disease come close to home, And touches those whom we love. There is a time and it is necessary for us to weep and to have sorrow. And again, we're reminded this is the revelation of God. God knows the struggles that his children face. He records the place of grief here, of 
the grief of Abraham. Not as a, a sign of the weakness of faith or, or unbelief that, that overwhelms his, his happy outlook on life, but as, as the reality of, of the struggle of the life of God's saints. Psalm 56 verse 8 records the, the outburst of the psalmist, put my tears in your bowel, are they not in your book? It's as though when we pour out our souls to God, he, he gathers our tears and he records our sorrow. And sometimes this, this, this sorrow, this struggle comes like a fog upon the soul. And you just can't see your way forward, and it's overwhelming. And there's there's a number of times that I've had to encourage uh, uh, God's people who are in this time, and they just couldn't pray that the, the church was praying for them, and the church was praying with them. And it can so overwhelm and swamp the soul that we, we can't see the way out. And, and it's in these times that the light of the gospel shines forth, and our, and our common sorrow shines forth to give us hope, to give us help to remind us that, that God is paying attention. Though you can't see him, he sees and knows you. And the light of the gospel gives hope to help in this time. And it's a hope that Abraham expresses with the purchase of a grave. A hope that Abraham expresses with the purchase of a grave. So in the midst of this common sorrow, I'd like us to consider, secondly, the commitment of God's people. The hope of faith is, is demonstrated in this, this transaction between, between Abraham and, and the Hittites. As he secures for himself and for his descendants, the cave of Machpelah as a, as a burial place for Sarah. Now, I'd, I'd like us to step back for a moment and think, how does this, this purchase of a tomb, doesn't that show defeat? Doesn't that show the fact that, that God's people aren't exempt from the curse of sin? How does this show the commitment of God's people and the hope that they have? Well, as we, we consider that, it, it shows a, a recognition of, of their distinctness. And, and this commitment to, to have a tomb. Think about that for a moment. Abraham's concern is, is not simply that he bury his wife. There is the offer of using their graves. Abraham says, I, I have to deal with my departed wife. I have to bury my dead. And, and the Hittites offer, all of our tombs are yours to use. Help yourself. Is, if Abraham's desire was only to, to have his, his wife buried, there were, there were a multitude of pragmatic solutions that were offered to him. And ample opportunities of, of readily available graves. But here we, we need to, to, to press a little harder into the text and think, what, what is going on here? 
Because you see, a burial, a burial reflects what one believes. And, and Abraham has expressed this belief already. He's expressed it in the willingness to sacrifice Isaac. It was the hope of the resurrection. And it was because of that hope of the resurrection that, that Abraham seeks to secure for himself and for his family a burial plot. And consider this as we, we uh, reflect upon this. The, the sons of Heth, the Hittites, they, they recognize that, that Abraham has some clout. They recognize Abraham's distinctiveness. They respond to him and they say, you are a, a prince of God or a, a mighty prince. You're a powerful man. You have a, a special relationship with God that gives you power. He's highly regarded by these people. And he's offered a, a companion relationship. Abraham, you're just like us. Use one of our tombs. You're one of the boys. Come on, help yourself. It'll, it'll give us this bond in death. See, we're all going to struggle with that. But all the while, he knows his identity, and he, he rebuffs their offer. He says, oh, no, I'm a sojourner and a foreigner among you. I, I don't belong here. I'm distinct. I'm set apart. I have a unique witness to the Lord. And this gives him an opportunity to express his hope and his commitment to the Lord. And death makes this apparent because he wants to remain as a stranger, because this world isn't his home. And this death, the death of Sarah, makes that apparent. He longs for a heavenly city. He longs for the resurrection of the dead. He's like Job, who longs for the appearance of his Redeemer. Who longs to stand before him in his flesh. And Abraham's lack of a tomb makes apparent that he looks forward to the new heavens and the new earth. And so Abraham asks for this plot of land and he seeks to secure a place for him and his family and Sarah at this time to be planted in the ground. And so he requests this cave of Machpelah from Ephron. And there's a transaction that takes place, and much ink has been spilled by commentators about, about what is happening here. Are we being given insight into to how ancient Near Eastern business dealings happen, that, that they don't come right out and put a price tag on it, but they, they have suggestions, they have offers. Is this hospitality and, and a, a common relationship? Is this the normal give and take? Is this kind of like the, the bartering system of the ancient Near East? Was, was Abraham refusing a gift? Was Ephron serious in what he was giving? We don't know. It's hard to say. But I don't think that's the point of the text either. But what we need to recognize is that God is revealing how, how there is, there's a hope for Abraham in God's promise. And the certainty and the security of redemption and resurrection that causes Abraham to secure a tomb at a significant cost. 400 shekels of silver, a significant cost to himself. 
And the focus that we need to recognize here is not the dealings in the transaction, but the significance of the person doing this transaction. This is a stranger and a sojourner. Beginning here by this purchase to receive the inheritance that God had promised to him when they left 60-some years before, that this land is going to be yours. And Abraham now has a possession of the promise, a possession of land, a hope and a grace in the midst of death. This is the sort of, of monument that this purchase represents, that God's word, his promise, will prevail even in the face of death. You see, for us, death has such a finality to it. But here, with this purchase of land, Abraham is staking a claim, and he says, this land is mine because God's promise is so secure. And that promise prevails even in the face of death. So how does this help us in our service of God? Let's thirdly draw some conclusions, some applications by, by way of conclusion that, that can be drawn from our text. First of all, sorrow, sorrow in God's, or excuse me, service in God's kingdom. Service in God's kingdom is not without sorrow. Sorrow creeps up, crops up, is readily there when we serve God in his kingdom. Whether it's the sorrow of a struggle with sin, whether it's the sorrow of having to sacrifice something that's beloved, like Abraham was called to do, whether it's the sorrow of the death of a loved one, service in God's kingdom is not without sorrow. But then there's something else that we need to learn, that the pursuit of God's promises the, the commitment to God's promises, the clinging to God's word and recognizing God's hold on us in his covenant gives hope, gives hope and gives help in the midst of sorrow. And the way God promises to Abraham life and security in the land are received in this possession of the tomb. God says, this land is yours, Abraham. Just like he said to Abraham, there is seed that is coming, and we celebrate that in the birth of Isaac. Well, the land is Abraham's. Would we celebrate that in the tomb as a marker, as an identifying mark of God's fulfilling his promise? That's what we're called to see, that in the midst of death, God's word is secure and his promise is being realized. Now you see why the tomb of a believer is so easily connected to that empty tomb of resurrection of Jesus Christ. God says to Abraham, this land is yours and I'm going to give it to you. Now it's going to be 400 years off, but in the meanwhile, you have this tomb as a monument that my promise is secure. And isn't it fascinating that here in this time, in this episode, in this era of redemptive history, God doesn't bless Abraham with a temple, nor a palace, a palace fit for a prince, which Abraham is. But he uses a tomb to show 
the certainty of his promises. This is a distinct source and sort of hope for God's people in the midst of his service. A hope that even a tomb can be a witness to the wonderful ways of God. It's an important reminder, a reminder that every one of us has an appointment with death. That barring the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we stand by the open grave, every one of us is going there one day or another. And it's a call for us to consider, what is your heart focused on? What is it? that helps you into the grave? Is it the promise and the certainty of the grace of Jesus Christ? What do we seek? What is our pursuit? Do we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness Then all those other things will be added unto us? Or are we seeking earthly pleasures and comforts to deaden our sense of death, to help us avoid it at all possible costs? Or are we seeking the glory of God and the joy of his service? This is a a hope that allows God's people to live and, and to function distinctly in his service. This is why historically in the, the tradition of Christianity, a, a burial and a grave rather than, than cremation. But the use of a burial plot, the use of a grave, is a beautiful witness of the hope that we have beyond the resurrection, that that seed, that, that body that is planted in the ground will, like Jesus' body, be raised again in newness of life. And sometimes cremation is, is entertained today because it's, it's such a, a feasible alternative to the expense of a burial. But notice Abraham, he doesn't compromise. He willingly pays an excessive price to secure a tomb as a witness to the hope that he has. That God's service means more to him than what meets the eyes of the flesh. And there's one more thing for us to consider. This witness of a tomb. As God's service doesn't stop here with Sarah's burial. Life goes on. And what a gift that is. As Abraham and Isaac are overwhelmed with the death of Sarah, Isaac proceeds, or Abraham proceeds to secure a wife for Isaac. And even for himself, he has another wife, Keturah. And yet this burial plot remains. Abraham will be buried there. Isaac will be buried there. And eventually, after his sojourn in Egypt, Jacob will be buried there. But God's service continues, and his kingdom doesn't stop with death. His kingdom, his plan, isn't eliminated because someone dies and life comes back to normal after a time of grief. It's the encouragement and the comfort for us to carry on, to have hope, to find help, in the witness of a believer's tomb. What is it you'll end with in this life? A tomb. What is it you can secure 
by the grace of God, life eternal. And the promise of the new heavens and the new earth, that what is sown in corruption will be raised in incorruption. What is sown in mortality will be raised in immortality. Let that hope help you to witness in the time of sorrow. May God help you and sustain you. Even as we face the COVID-19 epidemic, pandemic, and recognize this and the detrimental effects and the deadly effects it can have on some of our members, that this is a commitment that we can have at their grave, at their death, and carry on in the service of God. May God help us in this way.